for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. For those who missed it, my name is Dan Leanne, and uh, my name rhymes because I'm of Asian persuasion, and that's the way that we roll. Like, kind of all my cousins' names were like Wing Ping and Fong Dong growing up, so I kind of, you shouldn't have laughed, that was kind of racist, and... Um, uh, but I was born in Australia, that's the reason my voice is this way, uh, but now I'm based in Anderson, South Carolina, and that's the reason I have type 2 diabetes, and um, I'm messing around. But it's true, my family and I, uh, two months ago, uh, moved to a great church in South Carolina where I've taken the, the role as one of the teaching pastors, and I'm having a, a grand old time, and, uh, and I get a few opportunities a year to, to skip out and to, to minister in other churches, and... Um, I have to um, get my embassy fix um, as much as possible. So it's my delight, it's my honor, it's my joy to be with y'all uh, here uh, this weekend. I really do uh, love the Ross family, uh, love Pastor Tim, love um, Juliet so much. And um, your boys are just stunning young men. And uh, it's, a, it's a real joy to do life uh, with Pastor Tim. Um, a, a man after God's own heart and someone who makes me want to chase Jesus harder as well. I love him so much. And uh, my brother from another mother. I don't even know where Stephen is from. Um, he's from like kind of questionable heritage. I think he, he looks Mexican, but he's probably Puerto Rican. I don't know, what, whatever. Love Stephen as well. And I love this church. I really do love this church. I love how this church is really a slice of heaven. Um, you got to understand that there aren't many pictures drawn of heaven in the scriptures, uh, but one of the few pictures that are drawn is that it will be every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And that's the reason I love black people, white people, yellow people, warm honey, brown people uh, worshiping together because that is a slice of heaven. And just as a bit of a side note, uh, if you have an issue with one of the other colors in that spectrum, you better get used to it this side of heaven because God in his humor and his kindness will probably put you next door to one of those people you have issue with for all of eternity. So this is a good kind of training ground, all right? Getting ready for heaven. Um, I, I won't speak for too long this morning. I got told that if I stick to time, I'm being taken out for a free lunch. And uh, you gotta know this about Chinese brothers, we like a free lunch. And so uh, this morning I'm gonna speak really simply uh, from this subject of where Jesus is when it feels like he's gone super quiet, okay? Where is Jesus when he's gone quiet? I understand over the last couple of weeks, uh, you've been engaged in a series about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is simply just Jesus with us. Just like Jesus was with the disciples 2,000 years ago, he left another counselor, comforter, and friend to be like Jesus to the disciples. That's who the Holy Spirit is to us, Jesus with us us. But how many of us have experienced one of those seasons where you know Jesus is with you, but he's super quiet? You know he's strong, but come on, let's be real right now, you haven't felt his strength for a while. You know that he speaks and he has spoken before and his words have literally arrested environments and changed atmospheres, but where is his voice right now? Arresting and changing environments and atmospheres. I know that you're close, but you're super quiet, Jesus. Where are you in the midst of my storm when you feel like you've gone super quiet. It is important for us, dare I say, imperative for us as a faith community to process through that question. 
Because silence is disturbing. Silence is distressing. And silence not properly dealt with becomes destructive to our journey. But because Jesus doesn't want to see us destroyed, but he wants to see us built up into reflections of his glory. He doesn't want to see you torn down. He wants to see you constructed in such a way that you can stand the test of time and at the end of the day receive your crown. He gives us the word of God and the spirit of God to process through those seasons. We've all experienced when it feels like he's gone just a little bit quiet in the middle of a storm. And so for a few moments, I'm going to talk about where is Jesus when it feels like he's silent in our storm. I'm going to give some opportunities at the end of this meeting for somebody to to reach out and to not only touch Jesus, but to be embraced by Jesus. And then a few moments after that, I'm going to be sitting down at a nice salad bar somewhere here in the Irving area having a free lunch. Is that cool? That's the plan for this morning. Where is Jesus when it feels like he's gone super quiet in our storm? Let me pray and we'll jump into it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and to worship you from different tribe, from different nation, from different tongue. We all declare the name of Jesus in unison. We thank you, God, that that name has the power to break chains. That name has the power to build us up. That name has the ability to open up our eyes to see things that are there, but we can't see right now in our natural capacity. That name has the ability to change things. So Jesus, have your way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. In fact, that I would disappear and you would wholly appear and that you would be our leader, our teacher, our preacher, our guide, our rabbi here this morning. Have your way, Jesus, and do it for your name's sake. And everybody said, amen. I know he's there. But where is he when it feels like he's gone quiet in the storm? I remember a storm that my wife and I experienced a couple of years ago where it felt like Jesus went super quiet. Uh, The storm came in the form of my firstborn child, Caitlin. And uh, I was relatively confident coming into parenthood. Um, My... My little girl um, was going to be a baby, obviously, and I was a youth communicator, so I felt we were going to get each other. Um, I read a book. Uh, So I thought (laughs) I did everything one could do to prepare themselves for the rigors of child rearing and raising. And sure enough, for the first couple of months, it was pretty easy. Uh, My baby slept well. She even smiled for pictures. Um, I thought I should be writing a book. And then something started happening after two months that didn't stop happening for two years. At 9 p.m., and then again at 1 a.m., and then again at 3 a.m., and then again at 5 a.m., my little baby girl would wake up out of a slumber and begin to cry. I'm not talking about cute baby tears that make you want to take a picture for all posterity. I'm talking about blood-curdling screams that make you want to throw holy water on her (laughs) and see if something flies out, that kind of crying. So my wife and I found ourselves night after night on this black couch in our lounge room crying wife, crying baby, me nearly crying but not crying because I'm a manly man, totally sleep deprived and exhausted. And in the midst of any storm, in the midst of any trial, as a good Christian soldier, you start crying out to Jesus. And there have been different times in my journey where the storm clouds had gathered and then the storm had hit, my boat was shaken and I cried out to Jesus and he reacted and responded nearly instantaneously. 
a miracle, a provision, some peace, a breakthrough. I've experienced that before, but for some reason in this situation, it felt like Jesus had gone incredibly quiet. I knew that he was good. A blood-stained cross proved that once and for all, he's good. I know that he's strong because an empty tomb proves his strength once and for all. It's just that in this situation, night after night, as we found ourselves sitting on the same couch, crying wife, crying baby, me nearly crying but not crying because I'm a manly man, I was asking this question, where is your goodness and your strength right now? Because it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And so I thought to myself, if the prayer isn't going to do it, I'm going to have to push it the next level. I'm going to have to bring the word of God into this. So I pull my Bible out, I pull out my concordance, and I find every single scripture with the words peace, stillness, silence, shut up, and I'm starting to speak it over my baby. I'm rubbing the Bible on her head. But night after night, from day to day, to week to week, to month to month, my wife and I found ourselves in the same place every single evening. Crying wife, crying baby, me nearly crying, but not crying because I'm a manly man. Asking this question, hey Jesus, where are you in this situation? Why are you being so quiet in this storm? That silence was distressing and that silence was disturbing and that silence was beginning to become disruptive to our journey. I thought, okay, if the word of God can't sort this out, I'm really going to have to roll out the big guns. I'm going to have to bring some praise and worship into this mug. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to bring Darling Check, Simply Worship too. He's going to shout. She's going to shout to the Lord. And so this, we've got shout to the Lord, and, and I'm praying prayers, and I'm rubbing the Bible on her head, but still night after night, silence in the storm. I thought to myself, if Darlene can't sort this out, I'm going to really have to roll out the big guns. So I turn on Christian TV, and i got Joyce Meyer preaching to my baby. <laughs> so i got Joyce Meyer preaching. i got Darlene singing. I'm rubbing the Bible on her head. I'm praying prayers. But still, night after night, same place, silence in the storm. Now, because I'm a part of a faith community throughout this entire ordeal, I found there are segments of every faith community who will remain nameless, women who will come forward with advice on how to get your baby to go to sleep. Had this beautiful old Chinese lady come up and tell me what I needed to do was to get my baby girl and make some boiling Chinese tea and pour it on her back. And what would happen is a black hair would grow out, I need to shave that hair off, and then my baby would go to sleep. So here I am in the middle of the night, I'm praying prayers, I'm rubbing the Bible on her head, Darlene's singing, Joyce is preaching, the kettle is boiling, because that's how you get when you find yourself in a storm, and it feels like Jesus has gone quiet. And before you white people get on your child-rearing high horses, there were some crazy Caucasian remedies too. Had this old lady come and tell me what I needed to do was to get my baby and to wrap her in towels and put her on a washing machine and turn the washing machine on because that rocking motion would make my baby think that she was back in the womb and she would go to sleep. So here I am in the middle of the night, I'm praying prayers, I'm rubbing the Bible on her head. Darlene is singing, Joyce is preaching, the kettle is boiling, my baby's on the washing machine. Because that's how you get when you find yourself in the middle of a storm and you know that Jesus is there, but he's gone a little bit quiet. And I know there are a lot of people here this morning who have never experienced that kind of sleep deprivation or that kind of stress or strain in their marriage, but I know that in the same breath, there are people who have experienced those kinds of seasons where it feels like you have sailed into a storm, your boat has been rocked, you've cried out to God, but he's gone a little bit quiet, and that silence has been distressing, and that silence has been disturbing. 
And that silence, because it hasn't been properly dealt with, has become destructive to your journey. I know there are some people here this morning who have gone through a season of silence when it comes to their finances. Over the last couple of years, we've had a global economic downturn, but everyone's telling us, hey, the economy is bouncing back. And you're seeing people building things again and expanding businesses again and investing again. But you're asking this question, hey, where's my bounce back? I'm doing everything right by the book. I'm sowing, I'm giving, I'm tithing, I'm going to businessmen's and businesswomen's breakfasts, I'm claiming him as Jehovah Jireh, clap my provider, I'm doing everything right. <laughs> but for some reason, it feels like God's gone a little bit quiet in this storm. And it's unnerving, it's unsettling when it feels like Jesus has gone quiet. Come on, let's be real right now, in this finance storm. How about those family storms? Mums and dad, they're called teenagers. A couple of years ago, everything was trekking so well. It felt like everything was going according to how things were meant to play out by the book. You know, I'm going to raise them a certain way. They wouldn't depart from these paths. But right now, they're not only departing from these paths, they're running away at a rate of knots. And every single week, they're becoming more and more like that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter. And you're crying out to heaven. You're asking this question, hey, how come my friends have kids that are growing closer to you, Jesus, and closer to their mom and their, and, and their dad. What, how about my kids? Do you see them? Do you care for them? Are you worried about them? Because I am. Maybe even last night you found yourself sitting at your dinner table waiting for your child to come home after they've broken curfew again. And you ask this question, not out loud, but in the quietness of your soul. Hey, God, have you got your eyes on my kids? Why have you gone quiet in the middle of that storm? How about that singleness storm? You know, there's some young ladies here right now who are like kind of going, I'm just about ready for Mr. Right to come along. Like I'm doing everything right in the meantime, kind of keeping myself pure and holy, waiting for someone to come along, like half Edward, half Jacob reads his Bible, kind of like. <laughs> and we laugh right now, but there are some of y'all who weren't laughing last night. And, and you're seeing your friends kind of partner up with that person who completes me, you know. I'm so happy I've got Mr. Right now. And you're kind of like going, I don't even need Mr. Right. I want Mr. Close enough. And you're going, hey, Jesus, I know that there is something inside of me that you put there to be met by somebody. But it feels like as much as I pray, those prayers are going unanswered. Where are you in the middle of this singleness storm? There are some married people here in this room who wish they were single again. That was your chance, man of God, to go, he's not talking about me, baby. He's not talking about me. He's talking about everybody else. I love you, baby. But seriously, as a pastor now, like, I've been around this game for a while. I'm 41. Just these Asian genes are really hooking me up good, you know. I, but I've done this pastor thing for a while, and I journey with so many couples and they thought that getting into marriage would be like, you know, checking into a field full of flowers where they would frolic forever, but they actually just found that it's like World War III. <laughs> and that sense of connection they once have had, they don't have anymore. And individually, they're crying out to heaven and say, hey, Jesus, would you heal this marriage? Would you do something? Would you work here? But for some reason, it feels like heaven has a mute button that's been bumped. And Jesus, you've gone quiet in the middle of my marriage storm. How about those health storms? That sickness, that ailment, that disease, that cancer. 
And you sit here in church and you hear the testimonies of others who have gone through those kinds of seasons and you see the videos and, 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 you, and you endure the stories about how God moved in somebody else's life, but somewhere deep within your being, there's that gnawing question, hey, where is my movement? Where is my breakthrough? I wouldn't mind seeing that cancer shrink. I wouldn't mind seeing that ailment disappear. I wouldn't mind seeing that disability overcome. But for some reason, I continue to wrestle with this issue. Hey, Jesus, I know that you're Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Where's my healing? Where's my breakthrough? Why are you so quiet in the middle of my storm? Now, I don't walk down this path. I don't raise these subjects or touch upon these issues to try to bring a sense of melancholy into this room in any way, shape, or form. That is not the reason I'm talking about this. The reason I'm talking about this is because I know that my friend Tim and this team want to build a church that is built on real faith. And real faith isn't just ignoring the realities of life and hoping for a better day, but real faith is embracing everything that life dishes up, just knowing that the God of this universe holds that dish. And if we are going to be a genuine community that processes through the different seasons that we will all experience, all the bitter pills we will all taste at some point, it is so important that we talk about these spaces and these places where we know God is good. We know God is strong. We even know that Jesus is near. But where is he when it feels like he's gone? Just a little bit quiet. So my remaining 14 minutes and 22 seconds with you, I want to turn to a well-known story in the scriptures. A time when Jesus literally went quiet in his disciples' storm. And I want to make a few observations and shape them into faith declarations regarding not only where Jesus once was when he went quiet, but where he still is when it feels like he's gone just a little bit quiet in our storm. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Mark? Sorry, we're in America right now. Mark. I always do this. Come on, say Mark like an Australian. Mark. Mark. Say Mark like an American. Mark. Mark. Say Mark like a Chinaman. Mark. Awesome. I taught you languages. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him, Jesus, along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, a massive storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. <sighs> the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love this story because I see myself in this story. I'm just a disciple trying to get from point A through to point B with Jesus and not drown in the process. And so this day, Jesus is hanging out with the boys and said, you know what, let's roll over to the other side of the lake. And they jumped into this boat and they started to sail. I want you to take note that Jesus commanded them to get into the boat. 
We need to break this erroneous paganistic thinking that says that when something bad is happening, it means that God is angry. If something good is happening, it means that God woke up on the right side of the bed. Nothing could be further from the truth. These guys were smack bang in the middle of God's will. Jesus put them in the boat and took them out onto the lake. Bad stuff sometimes happens to good people. And so here they are, they're rolling out into the middle of the lake. And then a furious squall comes up, this massive storm. Now, these boys had seen storms before. Most of these boys were, were recruited from the shores of Galilee. They were most, mostly fishermen. And so they had seen this weather pattern explode before. The weather, the weather pattern that comes from the cool air coming off the Sea of Galilee, colliding with the hot desert air coming from the land. They had seen storms before, but this one was especially strong. And it was so unrelenting, they thought, this was it. We are going under. They were saying their final goodbyes. I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. And so they're kind of making their peace with one another and making their peace with God. And the whole way through this episode, Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He found himself a little mattress, made himself comfortable, and went into a deep state of REM sleep. He's just out. Seemingly disconnected from their plight. Seemingly apathetic to their strain. And then the disciples ask a question that we've all asked at some point before. Let's be real right now. Yo, teacher, do you care if we drown? Hey, that, that, that water is rising. Hey, Jesus, have you got your eye on this situation? Hey, Jesus, I know that you're good, but it wouldn't hurt seeing a little bit of your goodness right now because we're about to go under and it feels like you're not even paying attention. Come on, let's be real. I ask that question sometimes. Jesus eventually awakes, turns to the wind and turns to the waves and says, quiet, be still. Creation is calmed. Peace is restored. Revelation is revealed. Want more about that later. I want to ask this question. Where was Jesus? Mm. Where is Jesus when it feels like he's gone quiet in our storm? Three points, and then we're done. If you're taking down notes, you can pull out your leather-bound journals now. Find your pen. One of my mentors always tells me that a blunt pencil is more effective than a sharp mind in remembering the things that God whispers to you about. So you can scribble something down. If you have an iPod or an iPad or an iPhone, you can open up the Note app right now and thank the Lord Jesus for Steve Jobs as you do so. <laughs> if you have like a Samsung or an Android device, you can put that away. I've got nothing for you from this point on in the message. Nothing at all. Samsung probably catch fire and everything. <laughs> hey, where is Jesus when it feels like he's gone quiet in our storm? Number one, he's still in your boat. He's still in your boat. Verse 36 says, leaving the crab behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Where was he? He was in the boat. He had not left them. He had not forsaken them. When the going got hot, Jesus didn't get going. There wasn't an escape hatch. The angels didn't whisk him away. 
while the danger rose. Jesus was in the boat. He promised to be with him to the very end of this age, and the great promise maker is the grand promise keeper, and he was keeping his promise in that moment. He was in the boat. As the storm rocked the disciples, guess what? The storm was rocking Jesus. As the waves threatened the disciples, come on, the waves were threatening Jesus. As the rain drenched the disciples, the rain was drenching Jesus. If that boat capsized and the disciples would have to make a swim for shore, Jesus would have capsized and he would have to make a swim slash walk for shore because Jesus was still in the boat. And if you walk out of here with nothing else this morning, I hope and pray that you walk away with this. He is still in your boat. Come on, financial strain, he is still in your boat. Boat. Come on, trying to make ends meet. Come on, he is still in your boat. Come on, meeting with a bank, he's in your boat. Come on, lying in hospital bed, he is in your boat. Come on, waiting for a, waiting for a phone call on a Saturday night, come on, he's in your <laughs> boat. See, we laugh now, but many weren't laughing this week. And I can't guarantee you that this reality or this truth will bring laughter into your mouth, but it will, bring, it will bring a smile to your dial when you remember, no matter what season you go through, come on, he is in your boat. That's why I committed my, Christ, uh, my life to Christ in my first year of university. As a young person, not brought up very religious, but going on a spiritual exploration in my first year of university slash college, um, I was fascinated with all the different religions, and I was very observant of the fact that all the way through time, every culture, through every single century, has sought God. We are knit together by this common thread. doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. If you study history, stare down the annals of time, you will see that we are all knit together by this common thread. We've always sought a desire, uh, we've always desired a connection with our Creator. I remember coming to this logical conclusion, the reason every single people group seek a connection with their creator is because there is something inside every single people group that, want, that was basically made to have a connection with their creator. That's the reason we have religion. So what I did is I went on an exploration about religion. I tried to find which one is the right religion. Does my family have the right religion? Does this colored people have the right religion? Does this colored people have the right religion? Which one stands out? I remember early in my search, I found that most religions were effectively the same. Every world religion is built on this simple premise, that if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to live a certain way, hustle a certain way to get yourself to heaven, to get yourself to God. But Christianity and the gospel is different. It's the opposite. It's not about us working our way out of our situation to get to God, Christianity and the gospel is about God hustling down to come into our situation and to do life with us. And that's the reason I said, if you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this, that no matter what storm you go through, no matter what pain you face, no matter what bitterness or sourness you taste, he's still in your boat because he's the one who comes near.
He's the one who stays near. He's the one who is here. That is Jesus in your boat. Not only is he in your boat, number two, he's still in control. He is still in control. The Bible says here that this furious squall comes up, breaks over the boat, it's nearly swamped, and Jesus is on, in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He says, out, snoring, having Jesus dreams. Now, I can understand why on the surface, people would read this and interpret this as Jesus being nonchalant, apathetic to their plight. Jesus must have slept because he didn't care. But could I suggest to you that Jesus didn't sleep because he didn't care, he slept because he wasn't stressed. Because how do you get stressed by rain when you invented it? How do you get stressed by the Sea of Galilee when you literally spoke it into existence? Remember, the love and the care of Jesus was established once and for all on a bloodstained cross. We must conclude that if he slept, he didn't sleep because he didn't love or care for his disciples. He slept because he was in total and absolute control. When the Bible tells us that he's Alpha, he's Omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he is the firstborn over all creation, literally meaning he's the boss of this universe. It means that he's the writer, the director, the producer, and the star of this movie. And the final credits don't get to roll until Jesus says they roll. And they weren't rolling yet. And if the disciples had paid closer attention, they would have heard how this whole deal plays out. Because Jesus says, yo, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, yo, today's a nice day to go into the middle of a lake to drown. He said, let's go over to the other side. And I know the boat is rocking. And I know that the rain is falling. And I know that that storm is threatening. And I know that you are clinging on for dear life. But we are going to the other side. And he's in total and absolute control. He hadn't slipped, and he hadn't lost grip. Financial loss, he's still in control. Financial strain, he's still in control. Family craziness, he's still in control. Singleness issues, he's still in control. Marriage issues, he's still in control. Sickness, he is still in control. Cancer, he is still in control. Ministry headache, he is still in control. Teenagers, he is still in control. Crazy parents acting like teenagers, he is still in control. He is still in control control. I'm sure that Jesus is ambidextrous, meaning that he can use both hands equally well, but there's, there's an especially strong right hand that is continually referenced in the Psalms, with which he promises to grab hold of your life and never let go. There's a great movie uh, with an actor that many young people, the millennials here in this room will have no idea who this person is, but all the older folk like me are going to know exactly who Sylvester Stallone is. All right, he's a great Italian-American ambassador. And I love how Sylvester Stallone made an entire movie career basically playing this one role with different names. Every movie, Sylvester, he's the same guy in every single movie. And there's a movie that you've never seen before, um, but for most of you haven't seen it before, but it's, well, it was called Cliffhanger, all right? And I remember Cliffhanger, remember Cliffhanger? So in Cliffhanger, he's playing like a rock climber dude, 
and in the opening scene, he's rock climbing with a woman who seems inconsequential to the rest of the plot, so you know exactly what's going to happen. Like, girl's going to die. You know, right away, you know. So there they are. They're kind of like, you know, rock climbing away. Sure enough, this, like, this rope snaps, and she falls, and then Sylvester grabs a blue. Can you imagine? <laughs> hanging over like a 300-foot jagged rock drop, and the guy trying to calm you down is... And so, like, so you think to yourself... If there is one person on planet Earth who has the arm strength to lift this woman to safety, who has had the history of steroid abuse to basically carry this woman to safety, it's Sly. But not even Sly could do it because slowly you see his hands slip and eventually she is let go. And the last scene in that, in, in that period in the movie has her going, ah, falling to the ground as Sylvester goes, Bleh! what a way to go, you know what I'm saying? When you lose grip in your life, don't get down on yourself because you are limited by your mortality and your humanity. Jesus is not. When he grabs hold of your life, he doesn't let go. Come on, he is still in con. Troll. Thirdly and lastly, he will act. He will act. He's going to show out because Jesus is good that way. I love how here in the end of the story, the Bible says eventually the disciples wake Jesus. And he turns to the wind and it turns to the waves and says, quiet, be still. I would love to see in that conversation the disciples trying to wake Jesus up. They're like hanging on, whoa, this is a real bad one. Someone needs to wake Jesus up. And then one of the boys going, well, we saw him raise a little girl from the dead the other day. He could probably do the opposite. I don't want to like kind of push him right now because Jesus be tired. Hey, Simon, you say something. Come on. Simon Peter, you're always shooting your mouth off. And Simon Peter goes, I don't know. He called me the devil last week. I don't want to push it. <laughs> Yo, Thomas, you say something. I, don't, I doubt he listened to me. I got, I got, Hey, Judas, you say something. Hey, he always looks at me funny. And so I kind of... <laughs> Somehow, Jesus gets woken up. And he turns to the wind. And he turns to the waves. And he says, quiet, be still. And creation is calmed. Literally, the most powerful force or factor in the minds or the imaginations of those young men were quietened and quelled. So great is the power of our King Jesus. Come on, don't ever allow a season of silence to diminish your understanding of God's ability, come on, to move in an instant and to calm, amen, a storm. I just feel like I need to take you guys to Sunday school for like, 20 seconds. Can I do that just to remind you of how strong our Jesus is? Come on, with a word, he could calm a storm. Because with a word, he created the heavens and the earth in six days and still had a day off to watch college football. Come on, with a word. <laughs> he had the ability to bring forth Israel through a pensioner and his barren wife. Come on, he's powerful enough to humble Pharaoh with nothing but an old man and a craggly stick. Come on, he's strong enough 
to bring down the walls of Jericho with nothing but a song and a shout. Come on, he's big enough to slaughter Goliath with nothing but a sling and a stone. Come on, he is wildly powerful enough to shut the mouth of the lion, open the eyes of the blind, heal the sick, raise the dead, birth the church. Come on, save your crazy life. Come on, he is strong as he has ever been. And with a word, creation can be calmed. Don't ever allow a season of silence to diminish your understanding of his capacity and ability to silence a storm in an instant. But in the meantime, don't miss it. He's doing something good. What do I mean by that? At the end of the story, the disciples convey a meeting. Hey, everybody, that was wild. Who is this dude? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Or in other words, they knew more about Jesus at the end of this season of silence than they did at the beginning of it. And because Jesus is more interested in the men and the women who are becoming, the faith that is developing, the trust that is growing, he will allow governed seasons of silence for us to go through so he can do something that couldn't be done in any other environment. See, it's one thing to sing about him as Jehovah Jireh, clap our provider, but you just actually see what happens when you need him to provide. Come on, and he comes through for you. All of a sudden, it goes from a little ditty that we sing in Sunday school to actually becoming the soundtrack of our lives. You go through a season where you feel like, hey, but by his grace, I can't go forward. Hey, you, it, it, amazing grace goes from a hymn that you sing to actually becoming him and everything that he does. You see, he will allow us to go through a season of silence because there are some things that can only be built or done, changed or perfected in that season of silence. And because he is more interested in the men and the women becoming and what he is doing in our lives so he can bring something glorious through our lives, he will allow us to go through a season. I feel there are some people who are praying really desperate to get out of a season that Jesus worked desperately to get you into in the first place. Stop praying your way out. Open your eyes and start taking some notes. Hey, don't, 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 don't wave your fist at heaven saying, why have you smited me? Open up your hands and say, hey, God, what are you doing in me? He's still in your boat. He is still in control. And my friends, he's going to act. By his grace and for his glory, in his time, he will show out. Jesus is good that way. But in the meantime, don't miss it. He's doing, come on, some of his best work. Where is Jesus when it feels like he's quiet in our storm? He's still in your boat, friend. He's still in control. And he's getting ready to act. I wish I could finish this message with a great miracle breakthrough story about how my baby girl went to sleep. I wish I could tell you that one night I was like in my lounge room and had a crying wife and a crying baby, but me nearly crying not because I'm a manly man. And, and then like an angel uh, came in through the ceiling and put a coal in her mouth and said, the reason you make so much noise now is because you're going to preach the gospel to the nations. I wish that happened. It didn't. 
after two years, my baby girl went to sleep because she got really tired. <laughs> but fear not, my wife and I were smart enough to make another one. <laughs> to pick up exactly where his sister left off. So here we are again. Crying wife, crying baby boy, me nearly crying, but not crying because I'm a manly man. Sleep deprived, exhausted, exasperated. But this time there's a difference. This time there's a knowing. I remember one night I'm sitting on the couch and, and baby Josiah is crying and Krista is looking at me, tired but still stunning, and she says to me, hey, sweetheart, we're going to be okay because Jesus is still in our boat. And I remember telling her, hey, honey, I know because I taught you that. I make no apologies. I like laughing at church. I think church should be the most faith-filled and fun-filled place in the universe. Do you agree with me? Because I, I got breath in my lungs. I got God on my side. I still have like kind of, you know, half of my hair. You know, life is good. And because Jesus is smiling, so should we be. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.